welcome to Educationally Speaking on KVMR 89.5. This is the show that explores all things educational in our Nevada County Schools. I'm your host, Scott Lay, Nevada County Superintendent of Schools, and with me as always is Kim Ewing, the, the County Schools Arts Coordinator. Tonight, we're going to be talking about National Preparedness Month in terms not only of fires, which impacts our counties, but the kind of the hot topic right now in schools, certainly, which is COVID and the impacts it's having on keeping schools open, keeping students uh, in their seats with the huge surge we're seeing. So with that, we have two guests that Kim and I brought on tonight. They both work in my office. Uh, and the first is someone who should be familiar to our audience. That is Chris Espidal, Director of School Safety. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott and Kim. Um, great to be back. We're glad you're with us to help us through all this. Also, we have with us uh, a, a person who's in a, a new position, which she will explain later. This is a health data analyst position. It's a position that we were able to create over the summer with our, uh, our, our public health department to help schools out. Uh, and that's Sarah Spenson. Sarah, welcome to the show. We're glad you're with us as well. Thank you, Scott. Nice to be here. All right. So the kind of the flow we're going to do right now is we're going to start off with fire preparedness. Well, National Preparedness Month, explain that, and then talk about fire prevention. And, and, and we all know we've had some really close calls here in Nevada County. If it wasn't for the amazing work of our firefighters, uh, we'd be in bad shape here. And then we're going to transition over to, to COVID and, and the impact on our schools and, and what's happening there. Um, as a disclaimer to our audience, uh, we do record this show ahead of time because of the uh, safety protocols that are in place. Uh, and so we are recording it on Friday the 3rd. It will air uh, Tuesday, and there's always a chance that the California Department of Public Health will come up with new regulations over the weekend that we won't find out about till Tuesday morning and may make some of the information we're about to say uh, potentially out of date, but we never know. But moving forward, ignoring that, Chris, welcome, and let's talk about National Preparedness Month, what it means, and then we'll kind of get into some of the recent events that we've had. All right. Thanks, Scott. So National Preparedness Month is an annual observance to remind all of us how important it is for individuals, families, and communities to be prepared for any disaster. And as we're seeing across our country, disasters are out there in many different ways. Right here in Nevada County, my focus has been on preparing our community for wildfires and being sure that communities Families, businesses are prepared, not just at home, but in the business place as well, our schools and at home. As we saw with the Bennett fire just last week, it affected us here at Crown Point Circle. You want to talk about that for a second, Scott? Yeah, let's let's talk about that because we had it. I mean, this year, unfortunately, I've had a, I've had an evacuation warning from my house from the River Fire, which we, we all started the year up. That was horrible for uh, impacted people. But yeah, for the Bennett fire, uh, for our audience here, uh, we were in a, in a Board of Education meeting, which was on Zoom, sitting here in my office. I'm uh, near the end of the agenda, and Chris comes into my office and says, Scott, there's a fire. We may need to evacuate. And I said, well, okay, Chris, we're, we're real close to being done. We can do it in just a minute. And that's when she said, turn around, Scott, look out your window. Uh, when you see airplanes below you in your office, you know that's not a good thing. And that was the Bennett fire, which was about a quarter mile away. Uh, we immediately evacuated our office uh, for our... Um, yeah, so we so we did that. So tell us, you know, kind of about that, the teamwork that takes place, the preparedness for those things, because it could have been uh, catastrophic for our, our area, and it wasn't. We were able to, you know, keep it 
firefighters are able to keep it in check. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, it was um, it was unique that we were actually evacuating our office and moving from the evacuation point to the evacuation center. And I'm so proud of the team that we have here in Nevada County. Doesn't matter what your rank and file is, we work together and do what we need to do for our community. So once the evacuation order was made, and this is an important thing for our community to remember, I met with Paul Cummings just this morning. He's our director of Office of Emergency Services. The reminder that if you see smoke, evacuate. Don't wait for the notice. If it looks close, you're looking out your window during a board meeting and things look um, threatening, get out. And so that's- So, so noted, Chris. <laughs> that's what we did here at the superintendent of schools office. We made our way over to Nevada Union High School. Um, Paul had asked that we open up an evacuation site. And so we got there um, a roundabout way being rerouted due to road closures um, because of the fire being on Whispering Pines in Idaho, Maryland. So when we arrived at the evacuation site, Nevada Union High School, it was all hands on deck. We had amazing support from Rachel, who is from Nevada County Social Services, and our superintendent of the high school district and two assistant principals. As well, we were joined with Scott, myself, Darlene from our office and Tina, and then eventually Sharon Turner, our nurse joined us. But we really stood up an evacuation center. I leaned over to Rachel and said, now Rachel, you've contacted logs, logistics, sorry, you've contacted logistics and ordered um, Red Cross support, right? And she smiled and said, yes, and no one's coming. Red Cross is tapped out. And so there we were, the administrators. Oh, I forgot, Eli, too, was with us. I was going to say, and Eli was there, too. Our yeah, Eli was with us as well. So here we were, all these educators um, standing up an evacuation center. And I am so proud to say that we did a phenomenal job. It was so fun for me to watch our administrators um, pushing wheelchairs getting non-ambulatory um, evacuees into a safe place, serving meals, getting snacks, sitting on the ground comforting, bringing blankets, all the things that happen in a, a evacuation center that Red Cross provides. And wow, it just was amazing. Not just the um, firefighters and law enforcement, but our local educators as well. So amazing work. Thank you, Scott, for all of that. Yeah, it, it was, and, and we really need to, um, I think, thank the high school district. We, we have amazing coordination, but you know, you and I were setting up this evacuation center at the high school while we were being evacuated and seeing flames below us that looked to be approaching. Um, but the high school district who are working flat out due to COVID and staffing shortages and uh, everything else they're facing immediately said yes and and stayed there the entire evening and, and you know, treated the evacuees like guests uh, and engage with them. And so I, I you know, can't thank the staff over there at Nevada Union, they're phenomenal, uh, as well as, as Rachel from, um, you know, from our, our county services and our team. But um, to do that, we can't lose sight of that. That, that, so that, that was tough to do. Said, sorry, Scott, that being said, it was a reminder for all of us to touch base with all of our school sites. Because if you remember earlier in the day, we were notified while you and I were meeting that there was a fire close to Ready Springs and school. And um, two fires in one day um, seemed a little overwhelming, but it wasn't because of preparedness. One thing as a result of the debriefing from the fire was a reminder to parents. If your students are of age and are at 
home alone anytime during the day, please have a plan in place for them. We did have um, students that arrived via law enforcement after being evacuated and there was no parent at home. So having that neighbor, relative, someone who can quickly um, assess the evacuation, evacuation zones and know to go and get those young children to bring them to a safe spot is a message that I want to push out, as well as know your zones, not only at work, not only at school, but at home. Know your zones, be familiar with them, and understand the process of an evacuation warning and an evacuation order. And if you're watching that on the My Nevada County dashboard, you'll see when it is a warning, it's time to get out where you can do so calmly and safely rather than being rushed, hurried, um, and high-low sirens coming, right, Scott? Uh, uh, yes, pretend with those. <laughs> circle. Yeah, and that's really important too, Chris. And, and what I found out a flaw on my phone is I had my uh, home on, the, on the, the code red alert system, but I did not have my workplace on the code red alert system um, and, and realized I need to do that. So after the fire, I did, you know, the, the Bennett fire did make sure it was in my phone. So I'll, if you're listening, uh, think of that. You may even want to put your, if you have children and they're in schools, put their school zone in as well. And you can find all that on the, the Nevada County webpage. Really useful that, to put those in so you know exactly what's taking place. Um, so thank you, Chris, on that. Yeah, we, we, I mean, the scary thing for all of us right now is it's, it's September. This is usually our worst fire season moving into October. So um, we need to stay vigilant of what's going on um, and be ready for what may happen. So, so with that, we're going to kind of transition in and we've got Sarah's now going to join us. Uh, Sarah, as I said, your, your new position, uh, what it is, we kind of talked about the top of the hour, but why don't you go ahead and, and tell our, uh, our listeners what this position is, why we're excited about it and kind of what it does, what the benefit of it is. All right, so I'm the health data analyst um, and this position is a liaison between the school system, public health and the school nurses. Um, and so I'm gonna work in conjunction with all of them and kind of get everybody on the same page and talking to one another, which both public health and schools recognize the increased communication is going to be necessary for schools to open this year with schools opening fully in person. And before I answer any questions, I want to assure people that I understand how incredibly difficult and complicated the situation is. I have two children in the school system right now and both have had to quarantine for 10 days already. Um, I recognize that this can be incredibly overwhelming for working parents and then not everybody has the ability to work from home. Um, but the schools and the health department are doing what is best to protect the health and welfare of our students. And every decision has been agonized over by superintendents and principals before they send people home. And it's, it's just as hard on them. They're just as upset about it as the parents are. Well, I, I think that's, yeah, that's, that's good to know. We, we've all, we're all impacted some way or another by this. So um, yeah, having that, you, you fully understand. And I think you know, this, this is a great time to have this position. Um, so we, we get that communication, we get that information from our schools to public health and vice versa with that. Well, right now I, I am going to turn it over to Kim and she's going to kind of follow up with you. So Kim, take it away with your question. Hi, Sarah. Nice to see you and welcome to the team. Uh, you know, one thing talking about schools and being a teacher myself, the, the heartache of what's going on with kids getting COVID. Can you tell us a little bit about, we're getting a lot of questions from parents about the protocol for quarantining and exposures. What happened to modified quarantine and, and why are, why are some 
asymptomatic students not allowed to stay in school? I think the audience would probably really be curious about those. Okay, so before I answer this question, I need to make sure we all understand what modified quarantine is. So when they decided to open schools fully in person, one of the options by the California Department of Public Health was modified quarantine. And that is specific to an exposure where children were both wearing masks, appropriately covering both the nose and mouth. So that is mandated by the state. If the mask was not covering both the nose and mouth, it is, or either person, one of them wasn't wearing a mask, that is no longer, can, uh, I guess, qualifying people for the modified quarantine. Okay. Uh, so please make sure your kids are wearing their masks appropriately and that you are wearing your mask appropriately so that we can get this back in play. So mm-hmm. the quarantine requires twice weekly testing amounting to three tests over the course of the 10 days. Um, and that is school-based testing programs. There is a national shortage of professional rapid antigen tests, which are the ones that we would have to use for that. Um, the state of California has told schools they don't expect a new shipment of professional rapid test kits for at least six to eight weeks and maybe longer. So without that in place, um, the school-based testing in place modified on campus quarantine is not an option. We cannot do it. Public health department has said absolutely not. You have to have those three tests over the course of the 10 days in order to do it. Okay. Non-school-based testing is not recommended for asymptomatic children. Um, we are threatening to overwhelm our local healthcare system at the po- this point if we try and test asymptomatic people. We have had messages from Yuba docs and the hospital and all over the place saying, please do not send asymptomatic children to be tested, which I recognize it's very frustrating for parents who think, well, if I just get it tested myself, then I can leave them, have them go back to school in person, but it has to be the school-based antigen testing in place first. Okay. So, I mean, a lot of people were asking about those at-home tests that you can get from some of the local grocery stores, and obviously those are not approved for this. No. In order for schools to use tests, the school has to temporarily be considered a lab. Got it. And this requires a waiver from the Clinical Laboratory Improvement Amendments, or we call it CLIA. Um, And lab tests that allow schools a CLIA waiver have to be professional antigen tests. Um, And that's because those professional kits have both positive and negative control tests for each batch that comes in so that we can make sure those tests are working appropriately. So in essence, every test performed on campus has to pass a series of legal requirements and the home tests do not pass those requirements. Um, you could use them. We would use them. We <laughs> them on the shelves when we go in there as well. And we go, oh, wouldn't that be so wonderful? So we're just bound legally to not use those at this time. Yeah, it seems like it's super clear now with that. Is there anything else, Sarah, that c- could clear up some things for the parents in regards to all this or anything else more about all of this. This is definitely different from last school year. So the more we can get our audience to hear it, I think the better. Anything else about that? Yeah, so one of the questions I keep getting is, why is my child's entire class being quarantined? Mm. You know, but there was, well, there's not that many cases. Why are there so many people being quarantined at once? Like the whole class has to go home. And that's where experiencing an exponential rise in COVID-19 cases in the community, as well as at the schools. And 
So it's critical that we stop the spread through the school system because we, at this point, we can't tell if this COVID is being spread in the schools or through the community and then in home or outside activities are getting children infected and then they're bringing it to school. Um, and once a classroom hits a high enough threshold of COVID-19 cases, then it qualifies as an outbreak. Um, the school has to take action to mitigate that outbreak as recommended by the public health department. And those rules, including what made it an outbreak, some of those are bound by confidentiality. And so we don't have access to that information. Public health has that information and says, it's an outbreak. We have to mitigate this right now. Um, and just know that it is the last thing the school wishes to do. Yeah, of course. Keep kids in school. All of these rules were set in place as inclusionary rules, trying to keep kids in the classroom, not exclude them from the classroom. And so if your child's class was shut down for 10 days, it was done so to protect your child and the other children within that classroom, as well as the teacher from possible spread within that classroom. I hope that helps clear that one up. It's not something that is just on a whim or that the district is deciding for itself. These are rules that are set in stone by the public health department. So of course, yeah. And I think that just really clears it up too, Sarah, because um, you know, everybody's hearing different things. So it's nice to hear. And it's so important that you're in this job because this is exactly why you're here. So thank you for that clarity on that. Um, anything else, Scott, that you have about that question in general? Uh, um, yeah, I, I, there is actually. Thanks, Kim. And, you know, I was thinking, um, and I, I'm not sure we, we touched on it. Um, uh, the type of tests that are out there, we, we got the home test, clarified that we have PCR and antigen, um, things that were never in our vocabulary. Um, <laughs> right. Or, you know, like COVID was before and those things. So uh, just, you know, why you, PCR tests, we can find them. They're, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Antigen, what the difference is between those two. So I'm not a doctor, but I'll tell you, the PCR test is the gold standard of testing. That is where we swab it. It goes into a test tube and it is sent off to a professional lab who looks at genetic material. So that is 99% or greater efficacy. We know if they have COVID or don't. Unfortunately, the turnaround time right now can be 48 to 72 hours. Mm. If the lab itself is backed up, it can be longer. So because those are required to be sent out, you expect a delay in recording the results. The antigen tests are the rapid tests. And that's where they put something, you know, as they swab it around, they make some little drops in a card and they stick the swab in there. And then within 15 to 20 minutes, actually it's 15 to 30 minutes, depending on the brand of the test, um, you get a result. And it looks similar to a pregnancy test. It has two lines if it's positive, it has one line if it's negative. Um, and so we can, we could, if we had the supplies, do those efficiently within schools. And that had been the plan at the beginning of the year. Unfortunately, because nobody saw Delta rising so rapidly that they left, um, the antigen test companies had stopped creating more because they didn't see a need to have more because demand was starting to drop. Um, and so now supply is trying to catch up with demand and COVID just happened, Delta happened so, so quickly that supply is starting to catch up, but it is taking a little longer than they had anticipated. But the antigen test, they just test for the actual antigen um, that your body releases when it becomes infected. 
Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, and, and Kim, if you don't mind me throwing in, I know uh, and the next natural question I, I'm getting from parents is, okay, that's where we're at. So what's the plan? Mm -hmm. um, which is a great question. And I know um, Sarah has turned over every stone in this office with <laughs> testing companies. So we get emails all the time. We have tests available. Sarah checks out. No, they don't. That's just their standard you know, header on the email. They're weeks and weeks out. Um, so... Uh, so our audience knows because we are in a crisis with the lack of the uh, tests and, and, and the ability to contact trace um, due to staffing shortages and, and the sheer number of it. Uh, I was able to, to pull a meeting together with uh, the governor's office and the um, State Board of Education, California Department of Education, California Department of Public Health and our local public health officials a couple of nights ago and let them be fully aware of the crisis we are facing here in Nevada County, because it is a crisis. In my mind, if we're going to shut schools down, which is a potential due to the large numbers, we need help um, because the supply chain that they've told us is there does not exist. And so we are working on that as far as getting, you know, making them aware to get this production up, get us testing now, uh, getting us help. So, uh, yeah, Sarah has been working on that, reaching out to everybody in the sun, so have I, so the school district. So we are pushing, pushing, pushing to get that to us. I've been dreaming about trying to get antigen tests on campuses. <laughs> it's, it's all I've been focusing on. It's really, really important, and I recognize it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. It just makes us realize that this is a whole do, new different year and it's almost a little bit more difficult because everything seems to be changing and escalating, doesn't it, Scott? It does. And I think, you know, both Chris and, and Sarah and, and you as well have an experience in the classroom last year, Kim. We're in a far worse place this year right now than we were any time last year during COVID. Yeah. Uh, because of the sheer numbers. The other thing that... Um, we're, we're very aware of, as I mentioned before, is staffing shortages. So when we have staff go out on uh, the, the different possibilities in the quarantine procedures, there are no substitute teachers to fill those positions. So classes are being shut down because there's not a sub. Um, our county needs to know we kind of started off with around 200 in 2019. COVID hit, the, that sub uh, pool was reduced to about 100. Currently, wow. we're in the high 60s right now. And remind our, our people that is to serve 11,000 students. Um, and um, we are trying to recruit as quickly as we can, but people are scared. It's not about pay, it's not about money. It's they just are really nervous to come in the classroom. So you've got, you know, I think the public needs to know we've got administrators in classrooms because they need to be there teaching classes. And then when they finish teaching, they are now doing the contact tracing with parents because our nurses are overwhelmed. They're working 12 hours a day, sometimes six, seven days a week to try to keep up. Uh, and I know, you know, Sarah, it, when we do contact tracing, it's about 15 or 20 minutes per call, isn't it? Um, you know, because you, you've got to be, do your due diligence, you know, and ask the right questions. And, uh, and then you get questions from the parents. I mean, you know, with that. So Sarah, maybe you can talk to you about how that goes because you have a class of 30 you're looking at potentially eight to 10 hours to contact the students in just that class. And if you're in the high school, there's eight periods a day. So you can see one person cannot do this. Yeah. If the classes aren't cohorting and it's just, you know, like the lower grades tend to always be together in the same classroom and they still mm -hmm. 
school cases. And so their contact tracing, though difficult, is slightly easier than high school kids who have, they change classes constantly. And so you're looking at a much larger pool of people who need to be quarantined up in the upper grades, in the lower grades. Uh, right now with the smoke, we've had children eating inside. And so when they take their masks off to eat, that is causing unmasked quarantine requirements, which is you know problematic for the parents. They're like, why can't they eat outside? Because the smoke is just as great a risk in terms of long-term damage to lungs. So you can't pick and choose, you know, and so, you know, schools are having to make some really tough calls right now. And they're having to contact trace via video camera that is in the gym, you know, where the kids are eating and see who was next to or within the um, six feet for 15 minutes or more while the kid was unmasked. So it's taking a lot of time for administration and teachers to contact trace just one positive case. Yeah, and and I know the contact tracers. Yeah, they want and, and they don't want to make that a short conversation because parents have really good questions and concerns, and so you want to spend as much time with that parent as they need you to spend with them. Um, but it, it, you can see why the contact tracing. I hope you can see our listeners that we you can't see you can hear uh, why it is problematic, and um, you know nurses are not nurses are usually our contact tracers. They're not full-time positions at most of our schools. Mm -hmm. uh, we're trying to increase those to bring in more contact tracers, uh, you know, to, to, to get that. But yeah, Sarah said it's, it's, it's a definitely tough. I will say, you know, Sarah, bring up the lunches. That was really good. We had one school district we visited this week that had a novel approach. In the lunchroom, um, if you can keep kids six feet apart, and for, then you're, you're okay. If, you, if it's within six feet for 15 minutes, close contact, then they fall into the quarantine or potentially fall into quarantine procedures because of a smoke days. You can't get the kids outside. As you mentioned, Sarah, they were in the gym, all mask and they were in groups and each student would take a turn, taking their mask off, taking a bite of food, putting their mask back on and the next student. Now you can imagine how long this would take, but this school was trying to make sure they were doing every possible thing to keep those kids in their seat and avoid any uh, quarantining they could during lunchtime. Um, but boy, that was, and the kids were doing fantastic. I could not believe it. That's tough, tough for kids to do. So yeah, we got that um, going on. You know, another thing I wanted to hit on too is uh, the inability for our schools to go to distance learning. Um, so when we do quarantine classes, uh, over the summer, the legislature passed AB 130, and AB 130 was a response to schools that never opened last year in other counties that remained on distance learning to the detriment of their students. Nevada County did an outstanding job. We got kids up as quickly as we could in our districts and our charters last year. But because of that, when a class goes down in quarantine, the most, most natural thing would have been they all, they've got computers, we had Chromebooks and, and iPads out there. You immediately revert back to distance learning so the, the students do not miss a beat. Not a preferred method, but we can do it. And we did it last year. Um, that would have been the best. That's not possible this year per, the, per AB 130. You have to go to an independent study, which means you have to have a meeting with each parent to opt into independent study. If you're quarantining people due to COVID, it's very difficult to schedule a meeting with a positive COVID uh, and personnel. So it's not realistic. A lot of our schools are making the choice to say we are going to do it anyways. 
The ramifications are you don't get funded when you do that. However, uh, we're making that decision of enough's enough. We need to do something for our students right now. And we've been handcuffed with the decisions in Sacramento. So we are going to be doing distance learning. Uh, we're we're going to start it in my, my program for our moderate to severe special needs students. We're calling it independent study distance learning. Uh, but to get that continuity of education. So it's tough. This is, the teachers don't want to be home. Kids don't want to be home. You know, no parents, it's, we know how hard it is. Like you were mentioning, Sarah, you know, when you're working, um, we've had to work your schedule out in this office because you need to do your essential function as a mother to be with kids quarantining and still trying to perform your job. Um, it, so it's, it's very, very, very problematic. Um, you know, with that, we've got about 40 seconds left in the show. Uh, any last things, Kim, any last I just, I hope, I, I appreciate what, what Chris and, and Sarah are doing and let's hope that those tests come in, that supply and demand really does equalize and mm -hmm. that we try to continue to have kids in school. That's our best option and our, everybody wants that. Yeah, and absolutely. so we appreciate what you're doing, Sarah. It's such important work during these times. And, you know, I'm sure we could have another conversation in another couple months. <laughs> we probably even sooner with that. So we will definitely check yeah. back in. Thank you, Sarah and Chris. We'll hope that what we started off the show with, uh, that with, with National Preparedness Month for September, wildfires that we uh, we, we don't have any more in our county right now. But um, Indeed. So with that, we will thank our listeners and we'll wish you a good evening. Take care from the crew at Educationally Speaking. Good night. Good night.